Last week we spoke about the holiness of God and how important it is that we comprehend to the best of our ability and at least understand that God is holy. He is set apart. He is um, so high above everything He created that there's nothing that can even come close to comparing to who God is or what God is and, and, and what He uh, wants for His creation. And so God is holy and, and all of our life has to reflect His holiness. We have to grasp that and, and never become commonplace with God's holiness. That we just never look at it in a real um, lazy, apathetical way because God's holiness is just beyond description. And then justification. We need to have justification and we're going to talk about what that is. Because God is so holy, if I as a man, a sinful man today, am, I, am going to have any relationship with the holy God, there has to be a process of justification that would allow us to have a relationship. Justification is a legal term. And it's based on the word of to justify, meaning to make something seem reasonable or give somebody a reason that justifies or defends an action. So if I'm going to justify something, somebody is going to defend the action that was taken. As we apply this spiritually to a born-again Christian, our justification becomes our spiritual legal standing between God and the powers of Satan or the powers of evil. Whereas God steps in the gap where I'm not justified legally through him because of the ownership that Satan has on me, Jesus stepped in the gap and provided a way for me to legally become justified back to God. And we're going to talk about how he did that and why that's necessary. But we have to look back to history. We have to understand what happened. And, and I know this is a very common story for all of us, but we all know what happened in the Garden of Eden. We all know that, that Adam and Eve sinned. And as a result of their sin, there was a major travesty that occurred in ownership. Because prior to that, mankind was perfect. Prior to that, mankind was holy, like God was holy, and something happened there. At that time, they were in a legal standing with God because mankind was made in the image of God, and they were holy, and legally they were united, and they were together. But something happened there. Something happened in that garden that that transferred the power, that transformed the, the ability for man to stand before God, something happened. There was a transfer of ownership there. Adam and Eve gave up the ability to stand before the Lord God Almighty because of the sin. Because of this power that God gave them called free choice. And that free choice is so vitally important, not only to them, but it also is to us today, as we're going to see throughout this day, that free choice 
does a couple things. Number one, it allows us to apply what Jesus did for us on the cross. And secondly, what it does is it allows us to prove our love because we have free choice that it becomes a proving agent for us as well. So as we know what happened there, Adam and Eve were living a great life. And then came this testing point, which was a proof of their loyalty and their commitment. And it was just a real simple thing that they had to do to continue to prove their love for the Lord and their commitment to Him. And that was just obey. Just obey a simple command. Not to eat a certain fruit from a certain tree. And all life was good. But then comes Satan with the questions and the temptation. And it wasn't a all-out command. It was a very subtle question. Did God really say? Did God really say? And Satan's deceptive strategy was really good, really smooth. In fact, it was so good and so smooth that Eve didn't even realize she was being deceived. Does that sound familiar to any of our hearts and lives? Do you realize you're being deceived? If you realized it, maybe it wouldn't be so easy to be deceived. That's the whole problem with Satan's strategy is he is smooth and, and he does come in. And, and he really was smooth in this. If, if he would have come out and said, Eve, eat the fruit, Eve, eat the apple, she probably would have said no. But she didn't come, he didn't come that way. And he doesn't come that way in my life either for the most part. He comes very subtly and just a very subtle, did God really say, or can you really shouldn't do that, or oh, that looks so good to do, or he brings temptations in such a subtle way that we don't, we don't realize it until uh, we've already bitten into the fruit. And that's exactly what happened there. And so his tactics are very good, and his process of temptation is, is still there. But the important part here that happened is that uh, at that moment in time when Eve took the first bite and then she gave to Adam and he took the bite, that there was a transfer of ownership in legal standing at that moment in time, that at that moment they gave something to Satan. They gave something to Satan that God had given to them and they freely gave it away. She wasn't under duress. She wasn't under stress. She was just tempted with a good piece of fruit. And with that action, she and he freely gave ownership away. So now, for all of mankind, they were the agent that put us all in bondage put us all captive now to the legal ownership that Satan has over us. No longer were they able to walk and talk with God and have fellowship with Him because they were not God's anymore. They gave up their standing. They gave up their legal standing with God. What a tragedy. What a travesty. But hold on to that point because we will sometimes criticize Adam and Eve for their stupidity. And yes, they were stupid. But yet, I look at my life and I see myself repeating the same stupid choices. So 
So how can I blame them when I do the same thing myself? We'll come back to that a little bit later. But now, fast forward, and uh, here comes Jesus, the second Adam. And he comes on the scene, and this time he comes with a mandate from God to take back the ownership that Adam and Eve gave away. He came with a specific purpose to come in and take what was rightfully man's and to give it back. That's what his purpose was. But, but first, Jesus had to pay an awful price for that. He had to come in and he had to, to be a sacrificial lamb to do that. He had to come in and satisfy a holy God's righteousness and to pay the penalty that was required of shedding of blood. And, and Jesus had to come back and live a perfect life and, and live a, an honoring life before God, a humble life before man, a servant of man, and then to die a horrific and a painful death. And when that happened, he then conquered for us. We read in Colossians chapter 2 the account of what happened there when Jesus faced Satan once more, now this time in the spiritual world. We go now to Jesus' crucifixion, and as he hung on the cross and in his physical nature, in his physical life, he gave up his life. No man took it. He said, it is finished. The moment that it was finished, Jesus went back into the spiritual world. And now he goes into Hades, or he goes down into the, in the bowels of the earth where all the Old Testament saints are good and bad, and he sets the captivity free. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us as he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And this is where Jesus did his work. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So here we have Jesus not sneaking into Satan's kingdom, he didn't go in the back door. He blew the door off. And when Satan thought that he had defeated because Jesus was now dead, Jesus said, ah, I'm alive. I'm more alive now, Satan, than I've ever been. And not only am I alive, but I'm angry because you have taken something that is not rightfully yours. You've deceived and you've stolen something that the Father gave to, to mankind. And my job now is to come back and take it back. And now he comes down into Hades, he comes down into hell, not because Jesus sinned, not because he had to pay his price, but because he's paying my price. And he walks in now and he looks Satan square in the face and he says, those keys right there, those keys to life and death, those keys are mine. And he took them back. And he took them back and Satan had nothing to do besides give them. He could not stand against the force of Jesus. Because remember, Satan is only a created being. He is not an all-powerful God. He is just a creation that went bad. That's all he is. Jesus, the creator, goes down and he says, Hey, that's mine and I'm taking it and you have no power anymore because of it because all authority is mine. And now Jesus establishes the legal basis again for our authority over Satan. He brought the legal standing back for us. Revelations chapter 1, verse 18 
It says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. See, Jesus' life and his death and, his, and, and what he did while he was in the bowels of the earth sets us free forever and ever and ever. And all authority now has been given back from God, given to Jesus. The authority that the devil rightfully had over mankind is no longer his. It's in the hands of Jesus. Jesus has all authority because of his sacrifice now, he transfers it to us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, if Jesus has all authority, then how much authority does Satan have? Isn't it obvious? If God gave all authority, is there anything left over to give? All authority, not a partial, not 90%. All authority was given from God to Jesus so that he could transfer it back to mankind. So now I can stand as a justified person with the blood of Christ with that same all authority where Satan has zero, nada, nothing, zippo. He doesn't have any authority anymore. He does not have a legal claim to my life anymore. The legal claim now is God and God's alone because of what Jesus did in the cross. The legal transfer has been accomplished. So now it's up to each individual person to make the transaction personally. That's the catch, folks. That's the catch where God did it through Jesus corporately for all mankind. Now, I, as a single individual person, I have to transact that ownership within my life. I can't say, well, because God did it, then I'm saved. No, I can believe that, but if I don't apply that, it doesn't apply to me or to you, right? Does that make sense? Just because he did it, just because he gave it back to mankind, now I have to make a choice. There's that word again. That powerful choice thing comes up again and again and again. That choice now becomes my choice to receive what Jesus has that the Father gave Christ all authority. Now Jesus is saying, I'll give it to you, Mike, if you'll only receive it. But I can't give it to you if you don't receive it. It's the same thing like you can't be blessed if you don't come to vertical worship. I mean, we can have great blessing going on here, but if you choose not to be a part of it, God's not going to just force blessing you. <laughs> He's not going to force feed you because the choice is yours. The choice is mine. And when we can grow up and understand that, that the choices that we make, we then are going to be the recipient of the consequences of the choice, good or bad. It's like... Vicky again in Sunday school talking about the, the warfare that we're in, that we are given spiritual armor and, and Nehemiah and, and all the things that were happening, and they had spears. And the offensive position of a man with a spear is not just holding the spear here 
and waiting for somebody to jump on it. If I have a spear, are you going to jump on it? Are you going to jump on my spear? <laughs> no, it doesn't do me any good if I just hold my spear in a defensive position and expect my enemy to kill himself. I have to take the spear and I have to use it. I have to apply it. In spiritual warfare, when we put on the armor of God, the only offensive weapon that we're given there is the sword of the Spirit. Everything else, quite honestly, is defensive. The armor is to defend us. I like what Jim Beer said a, number of year, a, a while ago. He said, if you notice, all of the armor is on the front of the man, not on the back. So we stand our ground and let the enemy come against us, but we have the armor of God in place, and then we have the sword of the Spirit that when it gets too close, now we can thrust out, and now we can fight. But I'm not saying that we go aggressively look for fights. <laughs> The fights are going to come to you. You just have to be able to conquer them when they come to you. Does that make sense? And we stand in our warfare position. So now, Satan only has, this is a key point, folks. Listen to this one. This is really important. Satan has no power other than the power that you give him back. He has no power until you give it back to him. Until you say, okay, Satan, I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. I know that. I believe that. But yet I'm going to give it back to you in my life because I'm not going to walk in it. I'm not going to exercise my faith. I'm not going to read God's word. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to be a part of a church family. I'm not going to be part of a Christian group of people. I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to give away again what I have the power to give away. Choice is the most powerful force in the universe. Choice is more powerful than the blood of Christ. Think about it. Think about this, and I'm not demeaning the blood of Christ, but if I don't choose to apply it, it's of no value to me. So the choice thing is key. It's vitally important. And so Satan realizes that. He realizes that if he can deceive me again to give it back, he'll have the power. He'll have some authority. But I have to live in Christ. And I have to apply the authority that Jesus gave to me. And when I do that, Satan has no power. He has no authority as I live that way. But I have to make sure that I choose. There is no middle ground. I choose God or I choose Satan. There is no middle ground on this one. John chapter 3, very popular verse, verse 16 through 21. Listen to this as we read this. Because as you read this, try to find a middle ground. Try to find a halfway point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Legal term again. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Do you see anything there that's gray? Light, darkness, yes, no, choices. There is no middle ground on this. You do not have partial eternal life. You don't, you don't gain, there's no option here to say, God, just give me a million years of eternal life. <laughs> no, it's all or nothing, folks. You get all of it or you get none of it. You don't get a partial eternal life. Jesus didn't come to partially save. He didn't come to partially condemn. He came to free us. The verdict, the legal term, to declare that a decision must be made. No middle ground, no waffling between options. You choose one or the other. Light. Light comes into the world. Light, now it is the choice of each person to choose to step into the light, to step in and be redeemed, or run away from it. You can't stay in the shadows. Light represents God's love. And God's love wants every man and woman to accept Jesus, to accept one more time the legal transfer of ownership. But the choice is given to each person. Each person must receive that. And after that person receives this gift of ownership back into the kingdom through the blood of Christ, his legal standing changes instantly. Instantly, the moment you say, Jesus, forgive me, I repent of my sins, I'm sorry, that ownership now changes back to God. And now Jesus has all power and he's transferred it to you and to me. And one more time, now we're justified in the presence of God. One more time we can stand in the presence of a holy God because of the blood of Christ. Now what is Satan's response to all this? Obviously Satan doesn't like any of this. Satan is a liar. Satan is, is, is desperately trying to convince us differently. He's going to come with a smooth-talking voice, and he's going to try to deceive you again. He's going to try to take that away from you. He's going to try to say, oh, that's not really real. He's going to say, did God really say? He's going to come up with all those little subtle deceptions. He's going to try to scare you. He's going to try to make you fearful. He's going to try to make you think like it really didn't happen. I mean, just know it. Just know what, his, what, what he's going to do. He's going to come against you, and he's going to try to make you question everything that has happened to you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that once you're justified, you are legally adopted into the family of God, no matter what Satan throws at you. Because he's a liar. He cannot speak truth. All he does is bark. All he does is scream and holler, and he tries to intimidate but he has no authority as long as you're walking in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Therefore, what Christ has set firm He's giving you the ability to be holy again. You are free from accusation. Who is the accuser? Is it Jesus? Will Jesus ever accuse you of sin again? No. Not as long as you keep yourself washed in the blood of Christ. Not as long as you make this a daily exercise. The accuser is Satan. He will come to try to steal away from you. Dean Sherman writes in his book, Spiritual Warfare, this is really a, a good book. If you guys want a copy, I'd be more than happy to get a copy of it for you. But he writes in his book, Man, again, has the authority 
based on what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection. Man can still employ Satan through selfishness and sin, but the balance of power on the earth rests with man in the name of Jesus Christ. The authority is complete in man as long as man is in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. With our authority comes the responsibility to use it for God's purposes. If we don't rebuke the devil, he will not be rebuked. If we don't drive him back, he will not leave. It is up to us. Satan knows of our authority, but hopes we will stay ignorant. We must be as convinced of our authority as the devil is. See, he knows, he knows where the authority lies because he doesn't hold the keys anymore. The keys to the car are not in his pocket. He knows that, but he just doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want you to know what authority you have. Because if he knows, if he can keep you deceived in that, then he can come in and he can, sn he can steal a little bit back here and there. And he can play all kinds of mental games with you and fearful games with you. And he can tell lies to you. He doesn't want you to know that you have the authority to rebuke him. And you do. You do have the authority to say, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan, you have no authority in my life. I command you to leave. James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us how to do that. First of all, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How much simpler can God make it? How much more direct can he say? First of all, what you need to do, person, you submit to me. I'm your God. Submit to me. I'm the authority. Submit yourself to me. In other words... Get your life right with me. Do your best. Get your, let me have your intention of your heart. I know your actions are going to be flawed. I know that. He's not looking at perfection. He's looking at your heart. Submit your heart unto me. Resist the devil, and I'll drive him out. My power, my authority will drive him out. Not you, Mike. I don't have the ability to do it, but as I submit myself to God... And I resist the devil. God's authority, all the authority that was given to Jesus now is in my life. And now with that authority, I can resist the devil. And I think the hard part is that some of us here have a hard time with that. Will anybody raise your hand and be honest with me? Yeah, I have a hard time with that. I have to tell you, I do. I do, because I'm a man. And yes, it's hard. We can read, the, we can read it in the Bible. We can sing the songs about it. You know, we can declare it publicly all we want, but when it comes just me and myself, in my own dark world sometimes, I have to be reminded who I am in Christ. Can I tell you this morning that Satan is a liar? And there is no scripture that tells us we're ever saved because we feel like it. There is nothing in scripture that says you're saved because you feel saved. I didn't feel saved this morning when I got up. I'll tell you right now. I felt um, I had some angst in my heart this morning because I think the devil knew. He anticipated. He knew my, he knew my notes. He knew what I was going to talk about. He didn't want me to feel good about speaking about this today. He wanted to take my ambition away. He wanted to take my passion away. He wanted to take my purpose away. He wanted to come in and, and make me be hollow. He didn't want me to have any passion. He didn't want me to actually believe what I was saying. 
So he plays in my heart where my feelings sit. But there is nothing in Scripture here that says that I am saved by my feelings. So this morning, when you don't wake up in the morning feeling good about yourself, or at night when you go to bed, or during the day, put your feelings aside. And go to God's Word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. This is the prayer, and, and this is, I, I love this verse. These, these passages become my life's prayer. This is really what I quote to myself every day. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And here it is right here. He has delivered me, us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. There is no middle ground here. There is no gray. He has done it. He's delivered me from the domain of darkness, which I once lived in because of my previous life. I don't care how good a life I lived. If I didn't have Jesus in my life, I was in a domain of darkness. And he transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved son. Who qualified us? Who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light? Who qualified you? He qualified God. Jesus qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. And he then has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved world. Therefore, we are new people. We are redeemed. And it's done. And it's sealed. And no matter what the devil is telling you this morning, Jesus has rescued you and he has transferred you into the ownership of from his ownership into the hands of God. The Holy Father is holding you into his hands. Now let me ask you a question, talking about feelings. For those of you that are married here today, if someone walks up to the street tomorrow, you're walking on the street on Monday morning, and somebody asks you, are you married? What are you going to say? Well, wait, do I feel like I'm married today? I don't know. I'm not so sure I feel. No, you don't answer the question about your marriage and your feelings. You say, I'm married because I'm legally married. I I go back to the day that I was, my wedding day, and there is no question. I have a ring I wear, and some people wear rings, some don't. But it's not a question based on feelings. It's no different with our spiritual relationship with Jesus. If the devil comes up to you and says, are you really saved? Yes. Yes, I am saved, devil, because I have a legal standing. I am adopted into the Father's kingdom. I am adopted into his children and as a child, and I am saved. It, I don't have to check my feelings on this one. Just like you don't have to check your feelings on your marriage. You're saved. You're married. It's done. It's time to stop the enemy again. I want to go back to Dean Sherman. The devil gets away with whatever we let him. This does not mean that he will give up easily. He knows human nature and is is relying on our lack of endurance, hoping we will give up first, as we often do. If we continue to resist him, he will finally give up. It may not be immediate, but it will happen. The more determined we are, the less determined he is. If we are convinced that we have the authority, he will see it and eventually seize his attack. We should never give in or become discouraged. Victory is ours, but the price is faith and persistence. We live in a fallen world. Evil is all around us, but Christ is within us. 
We will continue to experience things we would rather avoid. If we respond the right way, they will develop us. There are no shortcuts to strength or character. We are tested that we might develop character. We are subject to temptation that we might become strong and develop a hatred for evil. That's, you know, guys, that is so important because if we don't develop hatred for evil, if we let evil become our friend, we'll eventually go back to it. But we have to develop a hatred for evil, a hatred for what takes me away from the presence of Jesus, a hatred for the old habits, a hatred for the things that drew me away from him. We can't play with this. It's time, to, it's time to put a stake in the ground here and say, Satan, no more. Not in our house, right, Rip? Not in our house. It's not happening anymore. We are attacked by Satan that we might increase our dependence on God and develop spiritual muscle. God is calling us to stop being victims and become mighty warriors all in, of life's realities. The victory is ours if we will just step out and claim it. All right, now, flip your page over, if you will. For some of us here this morning, I put together a little help. Because for those that are married, we have a marriage certificate. We can go back and we can look at that and say that I'm married without a question of a doubt. But for some of us, maybe we've never put physically boundaries around our spiritual life. So this morning, if this helps you, take this certificate of adoption that says you are legally adopted into the family of God through the shedding of Jesus' blood and his resurrection power. This is awarded to, write your name on that page. This is awarded to Mike Way on my date of conversion. And then remind myself who I am in Christ and who I belong to. Signed, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When the devil comes to you with your feelings of, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not, get this out. Remind yourself who you are in Christ. Remind yourself that you are illegally adopted into the family of God and that you no longer have to put up with his bullying antics. He's a bully, he's a liar, and we don't have to listen to that anymore. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. That's on, your, that's on your certificate, by the way. Let's read what Romans 8 says, because this will give you the assurance of who you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Did you hear that? The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, 
if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. A lot in that passage. A lot of meat there. A lot of things to use against the devil. When he comes to you, you can say, yeah, devil, I once was that man, but I'm no longer that man. My ownership has been transferred into the kingdom of God, and now I am a legally adopted son of God. I am a co-heir with Christ, and I am going to reign with him forever and ever and ever, and you lose. There's a uh, song I want to play, a little video I want to play from uh, Big Daddy Weave. It's called Redeemed. And I think this will just put a cap on this service today. But I just want you to, to focus on what is being sung here today about the redeemed, about what Jesus has really done for you, what he's really done for me. I am no longer in the, a captive of the enemy. I am free and I will never ever have to go back.
morning, if you want to publicly declare one more time that you are redeemed, would you stand with me, please? And I think it's necessary, folks, as we move into this next week of going into where we're going to go next week, that we need to aggressively pursue righteousness. We cannot let ourselves be complacently letting the enemy come in and wreak havoc in our lives. It's time to be done with that. It is time that we put a stake in the ground one more time. In fact, let's not put it in the ground. Let's put it in the heart of Satan and say, Satan, you can go no further in my life. And for those of us that struggle with this tomorrow, would you please cry for help? I'm begging you, really, I am, because it is that urgent here. We cannot let the devil come in and play games with us anymore. Because he will. He's very patient. And he will play you like a fiddle. If you don't get your heart right and serious with the Lord, and I mean serious, I mean pressing in serious with the God and say, God, I want nothing else besides you, and I'm going to give you everything I have, and I am going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going to be faithful to reading the Word. I'm going to be faithful to praying. Because if you're not doing that, you're playing in the enemy's camp because he is deceiving you and you don't even know it. If you're not praying every day, how can you have a relationship with him? If you're not reading your word every day, how can you be growing in him? It's time to be a truth teller because I'm speaking as much to me as I'm speaking to you. The devil is defeated. He's defeated. He's defeated. Amen. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we receive the truth of God's word in our hearts and our lives. And I pray, Father, that as we go throughout this week, that we will walk and we will talk and we will live a life, Lord, knowing that you are victorious and devil, you have no authority. And we are going to walk in that. And then we are going to learn what it is to be sanctified in weeks to come. But God, we are declaring our justification to you and by you in the name of Jesus. And we just ask you, Father, now to be merciful of us, with us and to us throughout this week. I declare a blessing on us, Lord, as we walk in your favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.